is up? It's The Rant, and my name is Jeff Radcliffe. It is Monday, June 22nd, and yes, the theme song remained the same. Some things don't change, baby. Did you miss me? First and foremost, let's get this out of the way. Did you miss me? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you're listening to this for the first time, and you're like, what the heck is this guy even talking about? But if you've been a long-time listener, if you're a Rat Packer, you know that... Well, about a week and a half ago, actually it was two weeks ago, I had my final podcast with my previous employer and did announce this, and a lot of people thought I was going away. Oh, I did not go anywhere. In fact, we now have our own show here on the Sawdust Podcast Network. Exciting times ahead. I wish I could answer more questions, but I can tell you that the website that I will be working for going forward is FTN Fade the Noise with my good friend Brad Evans along with a lot of other folks. And that site is coming very, very, very soon. So yes, rankings will be there. Yes, projections will be there. But there's going to be so much more. My bets will be on that website. You will be able to see who I'm playing and not just football. Now, this podcast, of course, is primarily going to be about football because that's what I do best and that's what I love. But I also love basketball. And I couldn't exactly talk about basketball at my previous employer. If you know who that was, then you know why that was. But I also have some other interests as well that we'll get into on that site. It is all sports. It is going to be awesome. And so is this podcast. I don't want to waste any more time, though. I've missed you as much as you maybe have missed me, and I want to dive right into this stuff. So today on the show, quick uh, updates on the news front, and we're also going to continue now the old podcast. I called it the state of the position. Uh, We're going to get to running back today. Really, what am I going to tell you? How to attack running back in your drafts. That's what it is. How are we drafting running back this year? Because, hey, we're almost in July. That means fantasy drafts are really, the beginning of fantasy draft season is a month and a half away. It's time. It's no longer like, oh, what are you doing? It's it's not even close. It's time to start prepping. And so we'll dive into that today. And really, the first news item today, I only have two, two news items I'm going to get to, but the first news item does have to do with that very topic because, you know, one of the rebuttals, the ordinary rebuttal to talking about fantasy football in, say, like May is, bro, it's baseball season. Well, this year is a completely different year. For obvious reasons, not very good ones at that, a global pandemic being the big one, that the rebuttal is not, dude, it's baseball season, it's, dude, they're not going to play. And my response all along is everybody that I'm talking to who is in some way, shape, or form plugged in to the league is optimistic that a season is going to happen. And, you know, in in some instances, these are folks, uh, you know, in the TV world, these are folks who are beat writers, these are folks who are uh, in NFL organizations. I've heard from a variety of folks that the confidence level is pretty darn high. We continue to hear this, even when there are, you know, there are voices who suggest that the season isn't going to happen on time, isn't going to happen at all, whatever it may be. Pro football talk coming out, Mike Florio saying that the league is still very optimistic that the season is going to happen as scheduled. And I tell you what, the more I look at this now, this could be, again, me looking at things through rose-colored glasses because, hey, this is what I do for a living. And I'll be honest, if the season doesn't happen, yeah, that's not very good for me. 
But at the same time, I'm also a realist. And the reality here is that this league is obviously saying they're doing a lot more on the back end than what they're saying. You know, they're not telling us everything that they're doing to prep for the season. And this is a league that obviously wants the show to go on regardless. This is a league that wants to capitalize on the fever, the frenzy. I mean, if the big sports come back, because we have sports, right? Heck, I'm recording this at like 2.30 Eastern on a Monday. We have a NASCAR race in, in a half hour. Now, granted, it was rained out. Is there NASCAR races always get rained out? Seems like, at least. That's that's my observation. Anyway, we have that. We've had golf. We've had horse racing. Just had the Belmont Stakes. You know, we had, uh, you know, UFC. We have soccer in various parts of the world. We have baseball in other parts of the world. But we haven't had the big three come back. You know, we haven't had NBA yet, MLB, ooh, and and NFL. And when those come back, there is going to be a frenzy like we've never seen for professional sports in the United States. And that is a darn good thing. And this frenzy is going to be across the board, not just from a fan standpoint. From a fan standpoint, yeah, it's freaking awesome. And it's what we need. We we need the distraction from the reality of, wow, 2020 is, I mean, this is a year that people will be talking about, you know, hundreds of years from now of what took place in the world, not just the COVID, but so many other things. It's a welcome distraction. But it also happens at a time when sports betting, we're we're in this unique space, right? Sports betting is legal where I live. It may be legal where you live. And if it isn't, maybe it's legal in a nearby state. And if it isn't, it's probably going to be legal either in your state or a nearby state pretty darn soon. We're in this very unique space, so it'll be big for fans. It'll be big for betting. It'll be big for fantasy. It's a great time if they can get it done, and the NFL is a league that does get stuff done. They figured out a way to get a draft done when we were really in the thick of it. So I am still very optimistic, and, and you know, hey, even if it's delayed by a month, if we start in October, that's fine. The NFL has already gone on record saying they have to push back, they push back, but they want to get a full 16-game season in in the regular season uh, this year. So I'm not worried about it. I don't know uh, if if you should be worried about it either. I think this thing is still going to happen. Uh, the other piece of news, much uh, less wide or far-reaching, I guess I should say. It's, it's not very far-reaching at all, but it is something that I found interesting because I did actually get asked the question about Jalen Rager. I My spidey senses should have went off that it was Roto World Effect, and if you're a new listener to me, I guess everybody's a new listener to this podcast because it's the first episode of this podcast, but if you're a new listener to me, the Roto World Effect refers to when Roto World writes a news blurb about a player, instantly that player is sort of like trending. It's amazing the power that they have, but they're trending on social media. And I should have known that Jalen Rager was written up on uh, Roto World recently, or else I wouldn't have gotten a question asked about him. Uh, But the quote is pretty interesting. So it's from Adam Kaplan, who I am actually uh, friends with. Uh, Adam doesn't live too far from me in the Philadelphia area, and very he's been he's very much plugged in with the Eagles. But he did say that he thinks Jalen Rager is going to lead the Eagles in receptions and snaps. Now the snaps part, I'm not really worried about. 
the receptions though that's to me that my my ears perk up at that one I, I don't buy this and I think this is very very important to note like Adam Kaplan is a guy who certainly plays a lot of fantasy football and in fact has come on my Sirius XM radio show regularly over the past uh, two or three years it might even be three but it's it's definitely at least the last two years Adam plays a lot of fantasy football Adam is an insider he is plugged in with the Eagles and a few other teams uh, he has very close ties to as well. Adam is not in the business of doing projections. And while he may know more than the average person uh, and certainly the even the average sort of NFL insider, if there is an average NFL insider, he's not in the business of making projections. And I think that is really important to note. You know, sometimes we'll see beat writers throw out projections. We'll see even some, you know, like Adam Schefter types throw out their thought. But the reality is you can throw out a thought, but that doesn't mean you've done any work on that thought. And it's not to put down my friend Adam whatsoever. I just think we need to look at this more as a statement on what he believes in Jalen Rager, as opposed to a concrete projection. Those are two really different things, right? So basically what he's saying here, we can read between the lines, but when I read a quote like this, I, I hear Jalen Rager is, is possibly going to lead the Eagles wideouts in catches. I do not think, and and maybe the quote is is, you know, maybe taken out of context. I don't think that Adam really seriously thinks that Jalen Rager is going to have more catches than Zach Ertz. I highly doubt that. I mean, what are we talking? Jalen Rager is going to have 90 catches as a rookie? Like, highly, highly doubt that. But when you think about Jalen Rager, you know, and where what could he ultimately do as a rookie? Could he lead the wide receivers in catches? I, I think he certainly could. So right now, my projections for Jalen Rager, I have him with 53 catches, 53.4 to be precise. He has 88 targets. Uh, I have Zach Ertz with 81 catches. <laughs> so I don't think that he's going to close that gap of 30 projected catches. Well, it's not 30, but it's 28 projected catches anytime soon. Um, so maybe that's what we're looking at here a little bit more. I, incidentally, by the way, I, I have Dallas Goddard who, if you haven't seen the video, he was sucker punched in a bar. Um, really, you know, and he was knocked out with the punch, a really despicable move by the, the guy who sucker punched him. But he, he you know, not what you want to see right now, but he's going to be fine for the season, so I wouldn't worry about that. I have him at 51 catches, so I have him right there with Jalen Rager. So if we put it this way, Jalen Rager leads Eagles wide receivers in catches in year one. Yeah, I buy it. 100% buy it. I I would take that, you know, absolutely uh, no, no doubt in my mind. I have Deshaun with 46 catches. I currently have Alshon with 44, but that that could even go down. That's That's not even including the you know, potentially being pupped. I have him missing a few games at the beginning of the season, but not being pupped right now. If he misses more time, then yikes for Alshon. Alshon's fantasy days are in the rearview mirror. Anyway, could he lead the entire team? I mean, it would take a lot. Ertz would have to get hurt, and he, and Goddard, really, because if Ertz gets hurt, then Goddard's going to go nuts. Goddard's going to be an elite fantasy option if, if Ertz, like say Ertz got hurt in like week two or week three, Goddard would be an absolute monster. He'd be right there in my book. He'd be right there, right behind that elite tier of Kelsey and Kittle. So lead the team? No. Lead the receivers? Yes. 
That's where we have to be careful with the Roto World effect. Sometimes you do have to read between the lines a little bit or else you might be misled. I think, hey, can we look at Jalen Rager as a as a later round guy who we want to target? Absolutely. We have to realize what we're getting with him. He is not a target monster. He's a downfield threat. He he does give you a little bit more versatility than Deshaun Jackson, but he has a lot, a lot less speed than Deshaun Jackson in his prime. It's interesting, though, because you get a guy who, for Carson Wentz, now he can push the ball downfield. He didn't have a guy like that, really, other than Deshaun last year. Didn't have anybody else who could do that. I mean, they tried to do it with Ortega Whiteside. He didn't get on the field enough, but his his A dot was super far downfield. Uh, I think the dark horse here, too, is Marquise Goodwin. We got to just keep an eye on how the Eagles view him. He's he's never going to be a high volume guy, but he could be a guy who's in a rotation there. And it, and that could eat into Rager. But Rager, he's a really interesting kid. At the combine, seeing him in person, you just realize, wow, he he is he's well built <laughs> for his his size he's not a little water bug he's not built like Deshaun Jackson even though they they're sort of similar height and everything Rager is just jacked up yoked and um he's impressive to see in person no doubt about it but uh just wanted to add some clarity there something I like to do read between the lines of what beat writers and NFL insiders happen to say because uh, sometimes those quotes can be you know maybe misconstrued a little bit anyway Let's dive into running back here, and uh, really what I want to do is break down the position, the trends that I'm seeing, the questions that I have, how I've been attacking, because I'm in full-blown mock draft season right now, where I've done, in the last two weeks, I've done four mock drafts uh, in, in various formats, but still, I think you can you can take in a sort of general set of guidelines to your drafts if you really understand how the position works, where the where the value is, where the pockets are, where you have to address it, where the teardrops are, and then how to ultimately construct your roster based around that information. So let's start at the top. I mean, hey, if you're in a snake draft, and I know if you're a listener and you do auction drafts, I see you. I know we gotta, we will address auction draft strategy. Not today, but we will address auction draft strategy because you have to take a unique approach there. And it's almost like a counter to... What I do in snake drafts, because in snake drafts, I almost want to be at the bottom of my tiers because that's where the best value tends to be. But believe it or not, in auctions, the best value is usually at the top of the tier because as the tier starts to dry up, people start to panic and they overpay for the bottom guy. So anyway, not going to get into that today. But you know, if you do not have, well, if you don't have the first overall pick in any format, even in two quarterback super flex format, you're not getting McCaffrey this year. I mean, this is... In in some ways, I like this, where there is just the clear cut, he's the slam dunk, he's the number one, and unless you're getting super cute about it, you're drafting McCaffrey first overall. Like, no questions this year. We A couple, couple of these recent years, we've had two, three, four, like last year, two, three, four guys who could potentially go one overall. Uh, not this year. Not this year at all. And that's a good thing, but th- we still do have a fairly clear... Uh, elite group like top tier group this year so it still doesn't make it does make it fairly easy for me and if I was going to say you know other than McCaffrey because McCaffrey again slam dunk after him I think we can include three more in that top tier Saquon Zeke and Kamara and I'll talk about why Dalvin Cook isn't in that tier for me in a second here but uh, those guys are in that tier, and you're getting sort of different things with them. Uh, Saquon, obviously the enormous ceiling. Zeke, 
Zeke's floor is disgustingly high. He may not have the as high a ceiling weekly as McCaffrey or Saquon, but who does? Well, Kamara does, but he doesn't have as high of a floor. Zeke's floor is insane. Go back and look at how many top 10 finishes this guy has weekly uh, over the course of his career. It is insane. Now, of course, this year there are a lot of mouths to feed there. But for me, I mean, if I'm at 1-4, let's say, and it goes McCaffrey, Saquon, and then somebody, maybe somebody takes Thomas at 3, I'll take Zeke at 1-4 all day long. <laughs> you know, no problem there. No issues with that. I will take that floor, especially with his role in the passing game increasing uh, over the last two seasons. So no issues there. So then if that leaves us with Kamara. Kamara is the classic example of why we shouldn't really read too much into touchdowns. Uh, yeah, he didn't score a lot of touchdowns last year, but he touched the ball a whole heck of a lot. He was just under 20 touches per game. And even though Latavius Murray is there, Latavius Murray is really just a handcuff. He's not a guy who they're going to you know, go 50-50 in terms of uh, touch distribution or anything like that. So love Kamara. In fact, I've seen him fall to like 1-6, maybe even 1-7. It depends on how many wide receivers sneak up in the earlier parts. It's probably more PPR where you would see that uh, if so, if somebody is prioritizing uh, Devontae Adams or if they're like sort of all in on somebody like Hopkins or Tyreek or whatever, then yeah, you could see Kamara easily in the middle of the first round and I'll do that all day long. That's if you're in position to do so. But I mentioned Dalvin Cook. So let me talk about him, and in some ways, I actually kind of have to lump him into the same tier with Joe Mixon. Not that I have them ranked back-to-back. I have Cook currently at five. I have Mixon currently at eight among wide receivers. But why they are in their own tier, of course, is because of the potential for a holdout. This is going to be something we're going to now deal with every year. When we have running backs who get to the final year of their deal especially running backs who might be 25 to 26 in the final year of their deal, which is basically most running backs, especially, you know, 26, most running backs are right in that range. They're going to have some problems because the teams are going to be reluctant to sign them because, you know, hey, if you're, if you are the Minnesota Vikings, are you going to pony up a big time deal for Dalvin Cook when you have Alexander Madison waiting in the wings. Now, granted, the Bengals don't have Alexander Madison waiting in the wings. Wish it would have been Rodney Anderson, but that's probably never going to happen. But still, are you going to pony up at a position where really all you have to do, I mean, granted, I'm really downplaying this, but you have to draft a day two running back to, to get a guy who's potential starter. Not everybody pans out. Sure, not everybody pans out, but you don't even have to spend a day one, you know, first round pick on a running back to make sure you get a starter in today's NFL. You can get a day two guy. It's not a lot of draft capital. You're you're not you know you're not paying big bucks. And look, I mean, look at the contracts that have not worked out recently. I mean, Todd Gurley leading the list did not work out with that long term extension. Because he is no longer there. So anyway, they're in their own tier. And if you're doing, say you're doing best balls now to start, you know, uh, you know, getting getting some some reps under your belt, uh, I'd be careful getting shares of those guys. I'd be careful getting shares of Cook and Mixon. 
I do think that by the time we're we're in fantasy draft season, we're gonna know like are they in, if they're in camp, then sure we're good. If they aren't in camp, then we're gonna adjust because I do think you know with what we saw with Melvin Gordon, with what we saw with Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell is the extreme, but I think the Melvin Gordon path is gonna be maybe the most common path where a player will miss some regular season time, but not they're not gonna hold out the whole season. If that's the case, you don't drop him, obviously. I mean, hey, if we if we had Le'Veon Bell to do over again, we would have just taken him off our board. We would have put James Conner as like a second-round pick and called it a day. But we didn't know that information. So that's where it becomes risky. So we'll revisit those guys in a bit. But, you know, even from there, I mean, if you're talking first-round guys right now, um, current ADP, and I, I've been using best ball ADP as opposed to using you know, say ESPN or Yahoo, because the ADP at those sites is always so heavily impacted by site rankings. You know, for example, like Joe Mixon right now is going in the late second round at ESPN, but that's also a site that is ranking him lower than a lot of other sites are. So, you know, you have to be aware of that. Now, you can use that to your advantage when you ultimately play at Yahoo or ESPN, knowing where those guys go and then knowing where you rank them and being able to exploit ADP. But to get a better, a sort of more true look at ADP, I, I often use best ball at this time of year. So right now, best ball ADP, Derrick Henry is mid-first round. I have no issue with that. Uh, Miles Sanders is at is at uh, 1-9. He's the eighth running back off the board. That that feels a bit heavy to me. I know there's a he's a guy who people love to love, uh, and and I get it. He was awesome down the stretch. Had some you know big time upside games for Philly. Was touching the ball a ton. My worry with Sanders isn't any of that. My worry with him though is, and going back to my friend Adam Kaplan, he suggested, and there have been others who've suggested the Eagles. It's not a matter of if; it's a matter of when they're going to sign a veteran running back. And it's not like that veteran running back is going to be a 50-50 committee back with Sanders, but Sanders does Sanders go from an 18 to 20 touch per game guy down to a 15 touch per game guy? For the Eagles, that's a good thing, especially because he got, you know, he got dinged up at the end of last year. For us for fantasy, that's that's not as good, obviously, because at running back more so than anywhere else, the name of the game is touches. More touches, the better. So if you're a 15 touch per game guy, you're at 240 touches on the season. 240 touches is going to be really tough. Even with a decent workload in the passing game, it's going to be really tough for Sanders to return value at at 1-9. It's going to be really tough. Right now, I'm ranking him 13. So overall, my grade on him, I have him... At 2-8, my number 20 overall player. I'm happy taking him in the late second. He's going in the late first. This is where you kind of have to balance things out. And really know the position, know where you feel the value is at the position. And you could disagree with me, and that's fine, man. You do you. It is your team. But if you're just drafting sexy guys just to get oohs and ahs when you put a sticker on a draft board in a backyard in late August, well... That's not really what the name of the game is. That's not the objective. Sexy doesn't win fantasy championships. So know where that is, know how to exploit it, and build your draft board accordingly. And and by the way, people have asked me, does your draft board come with you? 
from your previous employer? Yes, it does. Oh, yes, it does. I will have my own draft guide coming out, uh, like usual, in early July. And I'll have the draft board, the one sheet that I use at my own personal drafts. I've, I've even had people use my own draft board in my own drafts against me. <laughs> I love you, though. I love you for doing it. But, um, yeah, that'll be there. That'll be there. So with running back, you know, knowing where to pick your spots here, knowing the the value at the position uh, and where, you know, where to appropriately value guys is, is quite important. So anyway, in that, in that top group, I mean, the next guys, I, I don't actually have anyone other than Derrick Henry in the first round. So if I was in the tail end of the first round, I'm probably going wide receiver knowing that in the second round, there are guys who could potentially be there like Austin Eckler or maybe Kenyon Drake, although Drake, I'm a little worried about his consistency, right? He was wildly inconsistent even when he went to the Cardinals. You know, he had that first big week, and then he had a whole bunch of crappy weeks before he was the hero in week 15 and 16. So just remember that. It's far from a slam dunk. Um, Towards the back end of that round, I have Chubb, Aaron Jones, Josh Jacobs. I, I think all three of them are worth talking about briefly here. Nick Chubb, he's phenomenal. I love Nick Chubb. He is phenomenal. I think for, as a ball carrier, he's right there. You could say, if you told, if you said, Ratcliffe, I think that Nick Chubb is the best ball carrier in the league. I don't think I would argue against it. You know, Saquon, okay. Um, Zeke, I think he's better than Zeke in in some ways, but the problem is Zeke is a true three down back. Chubb is not. And after Kareem Hunt, that was my big concern last year was Kareem Hunt coming back in week. Well, it ended up being week 10, not week nine because he had the eight game suspension, but the bye week fell in there. After that point, Chubb was RB 15 from that point on. Hunt was RB 17, by the way. So that's my one knock. I love him, but I just don't see, you know, really to be a, a PPR top 10 running back and not have a role in the passing game, you have to be Derrick Henry. You have to be a 300-plus carry guy. I don't know if I see that for Chubb. That being said, I'm more than happy taking him in the second round. Jacobs, sort of same deal. It looks like they're going to be reluctant to give him a role in the passing game. They have Jalen Richard there. They drafted Lynn Bowden. Uh, but could Jacobs hit 300 carries? I mean, I, I think he'd get darn near close to it. Would not shock me at all if he went 280 plus. So you get good volume, and I do think that team improves offensively this year. And then Aaron Jones, I, I think people are going to read very heavily into the touchdown production last year, which I do expect to regress. Not dramatically. I don't think he's going to go from 16 rushing scores to like three, but still, he could have a very good season from a rushing touchdown standpoint and still have pretty significant regression like he could score 10 touchdowns on the ground and that's a really good season and it's six fewer than he had last year so just keep that in mind I'm a little concerned of you know Jamal Williams he'll be there but also the AJ Dillon thing like what does that say about Aaron Jones so that that part of the draft it's pretty straightforward you just got to know who you're you know, who you're targeting in those early rounds. But I think hitting, if you can hit, really ideally, if you can get one of those top five or six guys, then you're in a pretty good spot. And then hitting the position on on the comeback 
in the second round isn't necessarily the worst move, but you're still going to see some value in the third round. Leonard Fournette continues to be undervalued, I think. I get it. I get it. But um, for me, again, it doesn't have to be sexy for me to make the pick. Fournette was heavily involved in the passing game last year. No competition on that depth chart. I love Raquel Armstead as a Temple guy, but no competition on that depth chart. So that's sort of you know one of the unsexy picks. But there are a number like if you get to round three, there are a number of unsexy picks like Todd Gurley, um, Melvin Gordon. You know where do you pick pick Le'Veon Bell? I think Le'Veon Bell could be late third, early fourth, and I'm not worried about Frank Gore there. Um, improved offensive line too. Again, not sexy, but there's it's it's a value play. David Johnson in that range too. Not sexy, not sexy at all, but a value play. But there is the uber sexy name right in this range that I do think we need to address. Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I love him. I love him. He was awesome. Last, everybody on that team was awesome last year. That was the best college football team maybe ever. I uh, really just a phenomenal team, so much fun. But can we justify drafting Clyde Edwards-Alaire in the second round? I don't think we can. I don't think we can. And it's not really the Damian Williams factor per se. I I think we'll see a committee early on, and I think eventually Clyde Edwards-Alaire is going to he's going to emerge. But I think it's going to take some time. It's going to be frustrating. And I think anybody who steps up and uses second round draft capital on him is going to, they're going to feel that through the course of the season. Like Clyde Edwards Hilaire is going in some drafts. I'm seeing him go ahead of guys like, um, like Jacobs. I just saw that happen. I'd rather take Jacobs. I know what I'm getting with Jacobs. I don't quite know what I'm getting with Clyde Edwards Hilaire right now. Um, he is still, you know, he's going ahead of guys like Fournette, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I get that. I don't really have a huge issue with it, but my value on Edwards Alaire is mid-third. He's not going to go in that range. He's going to go mid-second. He's going to go mid-second. He's the shiny new object. And that's fine. Let somebody else have him. You know, one of the things I always say about drafts, there's no must draft. And no must avoid. All we have to do is get value with every single one of our picks. That's what we have to do. Get value. And if we're getting value, we're going to build a good team. We're going to build a good team. So anyway, uh, moving on from there. I mean, that's sort of like a little bit of a, of a sweet spot for sure uh, for running backs. Then what I've noticed, though, is once you get past that point, the group of running backs who you're going to see in rounds four, five, you know, that that sort of range, um, I'm not crazy about. Four, five, six even, I'm not crazy about. So what I've found myself doing is fading that area of the draft for running backs. So trying to come out of the first three to four rounds with two of them, hopefully at good value. And then after that, I mean, you're talking about the James Connors of the world. Um, frustrating with him. David Montgomery, I... I I like David Montgomery as a player. I just don't see any pathway to a bell cow workload, so his upside's cap. Raheem Mostert. I think everybody's going to see Raheem Mostert from the stretch last year, but I don't know if that's what we get this year. Tevin Coleman's still on that roster. It's it's a little bit of a challenge. Devin Singletary, another guy who 
you know, what do we do with him because Zach Moss, a Kareem Hunt, you know, challenge, Mark Ingram with J.K. Dobbins coming in. It's almost there, like, would I rather go with the, with those guys or do I want to wait a half round or more and see if I can get somebody like DeAndre Swift, Cam Akers, Jonathan Taylor? You know, they're all in unique situations, different from each other. I mean, I guess Swift and Taylor are sort of similar situations because they have the incumbents there, whereas Akers, you know, doesn't really have an incumbent to battle with in early downs, but he's he's not going to do anything in passing downs, really, uh, or I would assume that Daryl Henderson's going to get most of that work. So either way, though, I'd rather take a shot on those guys. You know, another round, take a shot on Keyshawn Vaughn. Another round, and that's like so mid-seventh. Another round, mid-eighth. Take a shot on Darius Geis. Why not? He's probably going to get hurt anyway, but I'd rather take a shot on him in that range than, than almost feel like I'm reaching, or not even reaching, but I'm just not happy with the value in that range. I guess it's appropriate value for... David Montgomery in the fifth round, but I'm just not crazy about it, especially when I consider, you know, I'm looking at wide receivers. The wide receiver value is so deep this year, rounds three, four, five, that you can completely attack the position in that range. Tight ends, I'm typically looking in round six, seven. I'm looking into that Evan Ingram, uh, Tyler Higby range, and I'm not trying to get the top end guys. So it makes sense, like, you, you know, having that plan going in saying, all right, I don't have to get one, you know, any one of these guys specifically, but these are the guys who I'm going to be looking for in the sixth, seventh, eighth round range. And if there's a lot of them on the board, I know I can wait. If there are very few of them on the board, I know I have to pounce. After that, it gets into this, you know, sort of ugliness of uh, guys who do we really want? Do we really want Philip Lindsay or James White or Marlon Mack or Sony Michelle or some of these like handcuffs like Tevious Murray? Do we want to address the Miami backfield? I'm in round 10 now on my value with Matt Breda, with Jordan Howard, then Tevin Coleman, Naeem Hines, Boston Scott. I don't, I, none of these guys are that appealing to me because in a lot of instances, even if it's a sort of perfect storm, you're still not going to get a very high ceiling out of them. I'd rather shoot for the high ceiling plays in those uh, six, seven, eight, nine range guys round wise than really go after running backs in the late rounds. I almost never have success with that. You know, I've had more success getting running backs off the waiver wire than with like an 11th round or 12th round running back pick. So that's why almost always, you know, for me, if it's a regular 16-round draft, I want four running backs on that roster in most instances. Very rarely will I go five. It's typically four. And what I ultimately want to do is get those four before we get into double-digit rounds. So if I don't have four by the ninth round, then I, I really haven't done what I've set out to do. Because once we get into the 10th round... It's typically when I break the seal on quarterbacks, there's a, usually a wide receiver or, or right, wide receiver or so back there who I might be interested in, maybe a late round tight end. And of course, if you have defense or kicker or whatever, you have to address those positions late round too. So there you go. That's really it. In a nutshell, here's the deal. I'm going to try and get an elite running back. If I can't get an elite running back, I still want at least one top 10 and two top 15. From there, I'm going to let those guys in the 20s, the early 20s, go and try and attack the position with young guys. And it, ideally, later is better, but I'll, I'll go as early as round six, round six through nine, 
and try and get myself two young guys at the position. That's how I'm attacking it this year. That's it. The first episode of The Rant in the Books. Excited to be here. Excited to have you. Went a little long on this one, but typically we'll be a little bit shorter, about 10 minutes shorter on these shows. But I was just so excited to talk to you. So anyway, on Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Jeff Ratcliffe, so you can follow along there. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow for another fresh episode. We'll talk about wide receivers on the show tomorrow, so really dive into the position there. Zero RB. Well, yeah, we'll talk about it. Anyway, I'll catch you on the flip side for another edition of the pod. I'm Jeff Ratcliffe, and I'm out of here. We'll be right back.